Hey everyone, it's Mitch from Mitch's Kitchen and we're back for episode number seven of The Taste of Success. Today I have Danny from Work For Good. Hello Danny. Morning. So for those who have never heard of Work For Good or yourself, um, what is it and tell us a bit about it. Uh, good is an online platform that we set up to help smaller businesses typically um, embed a little bit of charitable giving into the day-to-day -day of what they do. Um, by way of example, there's this awesome business called Mitch's Kitchens. Um, every time they sell a meal, they pledge to give an amount of money from the proceeds of that meal, which then funds uh, a meal for somebody uh, in much less comfortable circumstances than most of us. And um, that, I believe, is through a charity called Mary's Meals. So that's one example. We have about a thousand businesses on there doing similar things. But that's broadly it. It's, it's a very simple formula, but one that really works for smaller businesses that don't have big CSR departments and infrastructure. It's a very simple and transparent way of a business expressing their social values, of, of giving a little back, doing some good, um, but also in a way that's very visible to their stakeholders, their customers, their staff, etc. So it's kind of good for business and good for course too. Definitely. I know um, when we first launched, we were looking to work with a charity. And as a small business, it's really hard to approach charities. Firstly, if it's a small charity, they may not have a team that does communications. And secondly, if it's a big charity, they have set money that they need to raise for the charity projects and things that they run ongoing. And I think with Mary's Meals, it was something like £8,000 they needed to say, we can commit to that and that's what we can yeah. do. But we didn't even know if we were going to make £1 when we first started. So it's a hard thing to commit to saying, yeah, we're going to do to charity and we'll, there's £8,000. So when we discovered you guys and, and what you do, it was an absolute no-brainer. It's made our life so much easier. And to any other small businesses out there, sort of, who want a charitable element, um, definitely check out Work For Good. How did the, um, the initial concept and brand start? Um, well, it wasn't actually my idea. My co-founder is a guy called Rupert Pick, fabulous individual. And he, uh, he's got a daughter that inspired the idea. Um, she's uh, got a couple of very rare genetic uh, uh, diseases, which is horrible. Um, and he was going through what every parent does when a hospital doctors and nurses have done something great for a child of thinking, how can I, how can I help? Um, and uh, the usual thought is get fit enough, run a marathon, tap up your friends and family again for this cause you care about. And he just didn't really have the time because he's incredibly busy at work. And he got approached by one of his major clients who sort of said, could we quickly put together a one day workshop for some managers? And he was so busy, he would have said, no, but he'd tell, you, tell you what, I'll squeeze it in but I'll give the two grand you're going to pay me to, uh, to the Evelina Children's Hospital. Uh, and three cool things happened there. He went, wow, that was a lot easier than running a marathon uh, to raise the funds. Secondly, the client was super impressed. Uh, and thirdly, all, all of his, his colleagues at work were kind of inspired by the fact they were serving this higher purpose at the same time as doing their day job. So that was his light bulb moment. Why don't more businesses embed giving pledges into what they do, into their day-to-day -day, in ways that uh, are both efficient as a fundraising mechanism, but also kind of good for business at the same time as, as, as getting funds to course. Uh, and so that was a light bulb moment. And um, yeah, it all kind, of, all kind of went from there. And how many years ago was that? That must be about five years ago. Um, 
didn't start off very quickly. I then, I met Rupert um, uh, just as I was leaving my banking career and he was looking for some advice as to how to turn this idea into a, into a real thing and corporate structures and other such dry matters like that. And um, after I've left banking, I kind of was waiting to see this guy do something with this great idea and realized quite quickly he didn't have the bandwidth to get it going himself. Um, so I offered to and um, thought I'd give it six months of my life pro bono. And here I am about four years later, uh, still killing myself to make this thing uh, scale. Um, but it's been an amazing journey. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic to see sort of more businesses taking up um, working with yourselves and more charities. On that point, if you are a charity or if you're looking to get a new charity on board, how does that work? So how can a charity or brand um, work with you guys? So for charities, uh, it's pretty simple. Well, it's pretty simple for anyone. But uh, for charities, uh, they just sign up for free and then they put up a, hopefully a beautiful profile about you know who they are what they do why you should support them uh, and they then sit there alongside i think we have about 650 charities from the tiniest ones up to the biggest brands in the uk um, and then charities can work in a couple of different ways the kind of lazy way i can use such a word um, but that will probably not be very successful until we're much more at scale is to then just sit back and hope that waves of unrestricted funding come sort of gushing through the platform. You know, that can happen, that can work. Um, and there are all the sort of filters for people to search by geography, course type, um, charity size, etc., to try and find that charity's profile and, and therefore get inspired and start giving. Um, so that's, that's definitely sort of one, one version as we get to scale and as we have more partners pouring more, uh, more kind of giving businesses in through the through top of the funnel, that will work well. The other thing we're finding though right now is that the charity brands that are doing really well, the ones that are being proactive uh, and using us as a resource to facilitate giving. Because this is the kind of dull technical stuff that's worth touching on since you alluded to how difficult it is for small business to do. Eight grand's tricky for a startup. You know, some of the biggest brands, it's 150,000 pounds per annum you have to guarantee them below which they won't sign the legal documents that are required by the charities act for this behavior to be done compliantly so charities being approached every day by smes trying to give them cash in this way and uh turning them away which is just madness um so one of the things we have this charity is just rerouting all of that incoming interest they can't handle bilaterally through us because we have zero minimum donation amount um and that's been very successful. Um, we had one big brand uh, sign up about seven, eight weeks ago. They've probably sent us 50 businesses, 40 have signed up to the platform, and they've either been donated or pledged close to £100,000 now in seven weeks. Uh, and this is all money they would have turned away. So that's kind of, that's kind of route A for charities. Uh, and then the thing we are encouraging, not yet seeing enough, is for charities to actually take work for good out to businesses as their kind of small business proposition and to be more proactive in marketing it, to go and grab people's interest. Um, so that's the Nirvana for us. That's the end goal is to get charity being really proactive. And some of the biggest brands in the UK are planning to do that with us. It's just a, a bit of a slow burn to get to that point. Um, so that's the charity side. Um, were you asking about both? Yeah, so if, um, if the business side, so a small business listening, 
the steps to do it. I'm sure it's very straightforward through the website. That's how we did it. Um, but yeah, yeah just touch on that as well. That'd be great. Yeah, similar. Go to workforgood.co.uk, click get started or whatever the button is, sign up as a business, take two minutes to get registered, it's free. Um, and then uh, you can uh, you can put up a profile, it's optional, charities have to, so you can actually see you know what they're about. Uh, for businesses, it's optional, some people want to stay under the radar, but for other people, we encourage them to populate a page promoting their business, it's good for SEO. Um, uh, possibly talk about their values, why they're giving to who they're giving, uh, and make that profile public. And then you can link back from your email footers or your websites or your social or whatever else back to your giving page, where it's a kind of independent verification of, of, of the donations you've been making. And you can hide or unhide any part of it, like value if you're just getting started and you don't think it's very impressive that you've only given X so far. Yeah, that's all very flexible. Um, and then when you, you know, decide which cause you want to support, uh, you, know, you can search for the charities that we discussed before, and then you set up a giving campaign saying, we all give 1%, 5% of, of all sales during the COVID period to the NHS because we want to do our bit, whatever it is. So you go in there and you do a thing called add donation, where you're going to choose the charity and you say how it is you're going to be linking donations to your commercial activity, because that's required, and, uh, and how much you think, just an estimate of, of what you'll give and over what period and you just uh you just click go on that the charity gets informed of your support uh, and then there's nothing else you really need to do other than go off and keep selling your goods and services and get to the point at which you know the end of the course or whatever you agreed and tot up all the 10 p's or the five percent um go back into the website edit the amount to the correct amount that your campaign has actually raised uh, then wire it to us, we aggregate it with all the other payments to that charity and hand over on the first business day of the next month. So it's a pretty uh, pretty simple process. Uh, and there are lots of other bells and whistles in there. Um, you can uh, choose to involve your customers. So rather than choosing a charity, if you're kind of giving invoice by invoice a certain percentage, uh, if you're kind of using giving as an engagement strategy, I don't want to make it sound too commercial. Um, but I think the balance between it feeling good being the right thing to do and it being good for business, I think if you can get all of those things to fire, it will be more sustainable. Um, so, you know, one strategy is to say, I'm going to give 5% of every invoice, and that's going to be part of my brand narrative. It's going to be my story. I'm going to talk about it with pride. But I know the charity is incredibly personal. So every time somebody pays an invoice, they're going to get uh, an email from Work for Good saying, because you worked with Mitch's Kitchens, they're going to give X to charity. They invite you to choose a cause you care about. And then they can then click and go and choose something they care about. And that's really quite kind of smart engagement because charity is so personal. Um, so tons of, tons of bells and whistles like that. Um, yeah, but it's all, it's all sort of fairly straightforward. In time, we will increase the tech a lot in terms of embedding into people's e-commerce systems. We want stuff to dovetail with people's accounting software as a small business just to make all the tax deductibility and everything else just flow automatically and effortlessly. Mm -hmm. So lots of things to do. Um, you know, that takes time and resources before we'll get it that slick. Um, but that's broadly how it works. Yeah. Very uncomplicated. It's all, almost no effort. Um, and you don't have to go and try and find the number of the charity, the right person to talk to, get turned away for being too small spend months trying to negotiate what's called a commercial participation agreement which is the legal doc i mentioned earlier none of that 
to set up CPA, the Commercial Participation Agreement, with even the biggest charity brands in the UK, I could do it inside 20 seconds. It might take somebody a minute or two minutes if they've never done it before, but I mean, it's just very quick. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's the, uh, yeah, that's the sort of pinch point, the pain point uh, that we've completely taken away, making it not just easy, but actually just possible for businesses that don't know how much they're going to be giving. It might be 20 quid, it might be 200 quid. It certainly isn't going to be tens of thousands just to effortlessly align their brand uh, with big charity brands or tiny charity brands without ever having to actually talk to them and go through the pain of setting stuff up. Yeah, that was um, one of the things. It's, it's obviously known as corporate social responsibility. It's great as a business to prove that you're actually helping others and you have a bigger picture rather than just profits or just money for the business. Um, but on top of that, for us, it was really important for the food poverty side of things Mary's Meals and the other charities out there which are helping with food poverty. As I said, we looked at so many when we were first starting to try and work with them, but it was just a real barrier just to be like, who do we talk to? How do we get this like in place? And yeah, it was a really, really long-winded process until we found you guys. So yeah, I'm a big, big fan. You know, we, we guys absolutely support what you do. Um, and anyone listening who has never come across them or is a business and wants to do more or wants to have that kind of giving back, um, definitely check it out. Cool, well, we, we appreciate your enthusiasm. <laughs> so on that note, with Mary's Meals, obviously it's all about food and this is the Taste of Success podcast. Um, with the current climate and COVID, has your daily routine changed at all? And has that meant your diet has changed at all? Uh, yes and yes. I kind of don't necessarily blame it on COVID, but um, yeah, it's been it's kind of it's been a it's been a surreal time. Um, but when you stop worrying about lives affected and, and massive economic hangovers to come and all that serious external stuff, dare I say it? I've actually had a really nice lockdown. I've kind of had my three daughters at home almost the entire time, uh, who are normally away at education and. Um, it's been just quality time and I suppose uh, just got into new good habits. Um, you know, I bought a Nutribullet, other brands are available um, <laughs> uh, for the first time because most of our blenders weren't that good and just totally got into making evil green smoothies so that's every day and my daughters make them when I don't. Um, so that's that's been fun, lots of kale and Swiss chard and things I've never seen before. That's a, that's a scary looking thing, but it's very good to you apparently. Um, uh, so we do, do smoothies every day with chia seeds and goji berries and all these trendy uh, supplements, um, which I'm very suspicious about because the end thing, it tastes absolutely delicious. And that mentality that anything tastes that good can't be really good for you, and I must be wrong. Um, but yeah, so sort of half greens, half fruit, and then a load of groovy supplements on top. So those are delicious, we're doing those every day. Um, what else? Oh, cooking bread. Nice. Um, again, the, uh, all that kitchen kit you bought and uh, you know, used once or twice unsuccessfully about 10 years ago and then sat gathering dust at the back of the cupboard. That's, that's all, all seen the light of day a lot. Uh, not cooking bread every day, but maybe three, four times a week. 
Um, just a bread machine. I don't, don't attribute any cooking skill to this at all, but you just throw in all the right stuff and a beautiful loaf pops up. That's been fun. I did, uh, oh yeah, my best mate who actually is a very good chef taught me about um, how to do sourdough uh, starter. So I'm, so I'm kind of culturing that, uh, which is, which is uh, something I didn't know I wanted to do, but now I do. Uh, so yesterday I cooked a sourdough loaf with lots of seeds in it. That was yum. Uh, day before, what was that? Uh, had passata in it, sun-dried tomatoes, sprinkled chili. Um, something else was good in there too. Can't remember. Anyway, it's just fun experimenting and doing these things, having fresh bread, but kind of take it out, steaming when you cut into it. It's, uh, it's, that's been fun. Um, apart from that, no, more kind of things I cook anyway. Um, I, get, I guess the household, our, our habits are changing anyway, and it's a bit of a juggle, because you've got, um, my eldest is vegetarian, uh, my middle one is pescatarian, I'm kind of nothing labelled, but I've cut out almost all red meat and quite a lot of meat anyway, just purely on environmental and, and ethical grounds, but not 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 religiously. So, um, uh, but just a massive rebalance. I don't tend to do things obsessively. I tend to think if you can change things by eighty or ninety percent, then you're probably having most of the impact you you want to have. And I probably should and will take it all the way. Will I go vegan? Doubt it anytime soon, but uh, there's a direction of travel there. Um, and then my youngest, who still eats everything. So we've got, got four, kind of four slightly different agendas in the house, which makes cooking interesting. Um, but uh, no, it's, it's been fun. It's been good. I've always made the time to cook, but it's been fun having that much more time. Um, so yeah, that's a yeah, quick run through. Lockdown's made everyone spend more time in the kitchen, whether it's baking, whether, as you said, making bread, or just spending more time actually cooking evening meals or lunches or, or taking the time to prepare. But it sounds like you already had kind of a good relationship with cooking and food. Um, going back to when you were younger, what's the earliest memory of a good food experience and a bad food experience from a young age that still stuck with you to this day? That's an interesting question. The bad is easy being forced to eat shit quality, oh, sorry, poor quality uh, liver at prep school. Um, couldn't stand it, real sort of, turned my stomach, and I actually was, I can't remember this, occasionally or regularly sick. I just, it was chewy, nasty, and something about liver just doesn't work for me, and just, but you know, that, that was the, that was the culture back then, all those many years ago. Um, was you, you ate what you were given and did what you're told and uh, yeah that's probably that's age kind of 10 I guess that's probably as far back as, as I remember something particularly that's, that, that, that offended um, good food wow um, I, yeah my memory is awful so I don't know how early I'm going to be able to go back on that um, first thing that comes to mind is street food behind the main station in Bangkok um, so yeah, sort of Thai street food. Just, of course, it's not a fair comparison because when you're on holiday somewhere exotic, you know everything tastes better and smells better, and you know. So, um, but but uh, I love Thai food. I love the freshness of it, and street food has a, has a certain feel. 
Um, it's the, this is the, I think every single interview I've done, Thai or Asian food has come up top. Like every time it's either people who've been there or just had a good experience with Asian foods. And I think it's to do with the pride of the culture, the freshness of the ingredients, also the simplicity of how they make it and where they make it. And you can see the passion going into the food from the street food vendor, as you said. Um, it's just something special. So you're in Bangkok. Um, was that a, a holiday, as you said? Uh, yeah, I was just traveling with my girlfriend at the time. And this is back when I was 17, having a year off. So, um, yeah. And I haven't been back to Thailand since. I'm not going to tell you how many years ago 17 was, but it's, it's a few. So, yeah. Um, when you ask this question to other people, they normally remember things when they were three or... How far back do people go with their food experiences? It seems to be about, yeah, seven, seven to ten seems to be a key age for mm. early childhood memories. Um, I think even for myself, it would be the same kind of age and just being uh, fully thrown in with all the sweet stuff. Like that is definitely when I found my love for anything sweet from the cookies to chocolates right. to fizzy things to but going to Sainsbury's and buying one of the five pack bags of cookies and just eating them all myself. I was, I was a big kid. So it's taken me a while to look through that cycle, but I still have my sweet tooth. It's just now all a bit slightly healthier. Yeah, fair enough. I'm much more a savory guy myself, but uh, I, can, I can do sweet. I like sweet, but uh, savory trumps it. In your um, own arsenal of recipes and cooking, what is your go-to dish to impress that you would do if you were having friends over? Um, to impress, I don't, know about, I don't know about impressive anymore. Um, I like cooking lots of risottos. You can be quite sort of creative and varied with those. Um, stir fry is a great fun. Uh, I used to do roasts, but if you're not eating meat roasts, uh, work less, uh, <laughs> less well. Um, I, uh, a dangerous plug-in, another brand. Um, one thing I use a lot, particularly for sort of, you know, exotic Asian flavors, is a thing called Simply Cook. Have you come across them? Yeah. Um, I really like them because, uh, yeah, you just get the really complicated spices that you wouldn't know where to find, and if you bought some, would then sit there and waste for until the next time you try to cook that dish. And they're just, yeah, it's just a really interesting selection of the kind of exotic foods and menus. Uh, that, that speak to me and it's just super easy to do. So I kind of just, you can, you can ignore the thing said and throw whatever ingredients you like in there in terms of protein and veg and everything else, just, uh, just go for the flavors. So I use those quite a lot, less, less to impress, although some people are impressed by that, but just cause very easy kind of just uh, see what you've got and throw it together and make something totally delicious with flavors from you know, a cuisine or a country you've never been to and never tried because there must be 60, 70 different dishes you can get through them. So that, that works for me. Um, kind of balance of trying new stuff you wouldn't think about um, and it being easy. Uh, so that's, uh, do, do quite a bit of that. That's what I did last night and probably the night before. Um, yeah, I don't know about impressive. The, the first proper dish I learned to cook was salmon on croute. Uh, and that was when, again, I was kind of, early 20s just living in London for the first time and I could I could barely boil an egg but my best mate taught me how to do salmon croute to impress uh, <laughs> women um, so not, I presume I could still cook it I don't think I've tried in decades but um, yeah that, that was a, a definitely intended to impress thing because you can do fun things with a pastry on top yeah um, 
Yeah. Does that answer your question? Yes, perfect. Yeah, I think it's, again, you, we all have these stories around food and memories, as you said, of, of learning to cook from someone else. Um, I, my nan recently passed away and we were told how it was when they lived in apartments in Portsmouth, how it was the lady actually from the apartment below who taught my nan everything she knew about cooking. Previous to that, she'd never really cooked at all. And we still use some of um, this lady's recipes as our traditional Christmas cake and, and things that stuck around in our family. But it's such a story and it was really lovely to hear these kind of stories. And that's why I wanted to start this series is just to speak with people about brands or athletes or people who I think are really interesting and love what they do and just hear your own sort of personal food stories. So I think it's a, it's a great topic of conversation and I would love to do these things where we can get everyone together, cook and then sit around and enjoy the food. Yeah. Is nice. there a particular meal or restaurant experience that stands out above everything else, like your best food experience you've ever had? Clearly no. <laughs> <laughs> um, Hmm. I was reminded of a meal we actually did at home um, by, by, uh, uh, I say we did. Uh, I don't know quite why we thought it was a, a, an occasion to be celebrated, but um, we got a chef to sort of come in and cook for us at home. Uh, and I was reminded, because my, my father wrote me a poem afterwards about the whole evening. Uh, and I've got it framed up on a wall. I hadn't looked at it for ages. It's got the menu, which is beautifully laid out, six course tasting menu with wines from my cellar, you know, to go with each, just all the best, the yumminess. And, um, and it was such a good evening. I wrote a poem about it, which I then framed the menu and the poem together in a frame. I hadn't, I hadn't seen that for ages. And I was looking at it the other day and it took, took me back. And that was just, you know, a perfect combination of having the most important people in the world uh you know in the room with you and making a real ceremony of it uh and uh having somebody else making all the effort and cooking better than you could cook yourself um uh, but being able to sort of crack open all your own wines and uh, you know things frankly i'd be far too tight to pay three times markup for in a, in a restaurant um so it's just it was just a, just one of those perfect evenings and uh yeah i think the prune and arnette souffle at the end was probably the highlight of that but it was just a fabulous meal i was very amused to know that um uh, the lady who uh who cooked i think it must be very on in her, very early on in her career is actually known to rupert pick who's my co-founder who i only met in the work for good journey recently and um uh, they'd actually gone on a date together apparently and uh, and she's 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 you know got her own restaurant restaurants now so she's doing very well um so it doesn't surprise me at all it was a fabulous meal but um yeah, that was pretty special. I can't blame a restaurant for that one, but that was a you know, really, really, really nice thing. Yeah, no, that's, that's really nice. I've personally done a few of those meals where I go to people's homes and cook for them. And for me as a chef, it's a really rewarding thing to see how much people enjoy it, but from the comfort of their own home. I did one yeah. um, recently for um, someone who's very well known, and it was actually like a paella evening. So I cooked a completely plant-based meal. We had to kind of the starters, the sides, and then a giant paella on this outdoor burner and it was the first time they've kind of not had to cook during lockdown and you could just see how much the family was all enjoying it around this one meal and you hand over this big paella dish and it's a big 
sharing everyone coming together and I think after the whole experience of lockdown and having that kind of distance and suddenly being allowed to spend time with family and loved ones again it was just such a lovely evening even from my perspective as the chef so it's great to hear that um, the chef who was doing your food has now gone on to have restaurants and and things as well yeah. so that's fantastic yeah it's, it's great to see talent flourish from there so I won't keep you on um, for much longer because I know you are a busy guy. Um, but before we ask the final question, uh, is there any particular way people should get in contact with you personally or if they want to find out more about Work For Good and how to be involved as a business or charity, how to do that? I think through the website, uh, which is, I said it earlier, but it's just to, to spell it out, there are no phonetic, no, um, no numerals in it. W-O-R-K-F-O-R-G-O-O-D co.uk anybody wants to reach out to me personally feel free it's danny d-a-n-n-y at all of that um so yeah by all means get in touch if we can support uh, support your business and, and how you'd like to do things um we're here to serve perfect i just want to again say a big big thank you to the work you and work for good do as a team we absolutely are beyond proud to sort of be able to work with you guys to support charities that we believe in. Um, so keep it up and anyone who hasn't seen it, go check out Work For Good and get involved. So final question, you've lived out uh -oh. your... <laughs> <laughs> no, you've, you've lived out your long life, you've achieved everything you've ever wanted and it's the final meal before you move on to the next chapter, whatever that may be for you. What would you have? starter main dessert drink whatever it is what would your final goodbye meal be i, I love the way you frame that I'm, I'm sure i've heard that question before but it's always death row yeah i, th I think your version's nicer um to be a bit less, less morbid i think it's saying like right it's, it's death row what's your final meal or until you die I think it's just saying because mm. everyone has a different view on what the next phase will be and it just kind of allows more in there so yeah um scallops i think to start things off nice possibly possibly with a hint of chorizo for you'll forgive me for for going there um obviously plant-based you know not the real thing <laughs> um, main course, something Vietnamese I've never tried before. No one's surprised. I went there for the first time 18 months ago. That's cool. Um, and dessert, mango with chili. And something else that a decent chef would make that into a cool dessert as opposed to me just making it up on the Um That probably see me off. Uh, to drink with it, white burgundy with the scallops, maybe a red Rhone wine, or maybe one something, something awesome from a new world for the main course. Not sure. Um, and of course, you've got to sign off with possibly a 2001 again. Um, you know, if, if this is the end, you've got to you've got to drink the good stuff, right? Um, yeah, that that probably made me smile. Yeah, sounds sounds like going out with a bang. So yeah. Lovely. Well, amazing, Danny. Thank you so much for your time. And My pleasure. Have, have a fantastic rest of the day. Yeah, you too. Take care, Mitch. Nice Thank to talk. You. Bye. Bye.